Amen. Amen. It is always good to sing together. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. In other words, there is more than enough. There's more than enough. Uh, I thought this week about whether we would have enough food when the neighbor kids came over for dinner one night. And I thought, well, this pizza we cooked might not stretch to the three extra kids we have in the house. But, uh, but it worked out. It worked out. We had enough. And uh, sometimes, though, that happens. You know, you wonder, uh, did you make enough for this group, right? Sometimes there's, there's more than you plan on. But, uh, you know, that doesn't happen when you go to the buffet. They never run out of food, right? You can take, uh, you can take your whole group of people and uh, they won't run out of food. Uh, if they're getting close, they might just ask you to leave <laughs> if you're eating too much. But there's, there's more than enough, right? When you go to the Chinese buffet, there's more than enough for you and everyone else there, right? This reminder that there's more than enough. And really, that idea is what our passage talks about this morning, that there's more than enough to go around. Specifically, there's more than enough of God's abundant mercy. There's more than enough. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, we'll finish out the second half of the chapter this morning. And starting in verse 21 of Matthew 15, the word of the Lord says this. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet... Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet. And when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to them, said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, 
seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So in this passage this morning, just as we begin to look through it, it's helpful to just notice how it progresses here at the beginning. We see this woman, she's persistent, right, in asking the Lord, crying out to the Lord to have mercy on her, right? Have mercy on me. There's this demon oppressing her daughter. She wants the Lord to work, and so she keeps crying out, but Jesus responds, or rather he doesn't respond to her, right? He's silent. He doesn't answer her at all. And so the woman continues, she continues crying out after them. And then the disciples, not Jesus, but the disciples uh, are getting worn out by this. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, it's here at the commentators will say, you know, probably in the Greek, it, it should be uh, the the phrasing should be like this. They're saying, Jesus, will you just do what this woman wants so she'll be quiet and go away? That's really kind of the, the expression here. And so they ask Jesus, will you just heal this woman? Do, do what she wants. Heal her daughter. But then Jesus answers, her, answers the disciples, not her yet, but answers the disciples and says, No, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so in other words, you remember Jesus just had this run-in with the Pharisees, and now he's withdrawn. He's in a different region. He's in the region of the Gentiles near Tyre and Sidon. And so he's really he's laying low. He's just getting a break from ministry. He's not uh, trying to start a new ministry. It's not like things didn't work out well, so he's going to a new place to try to build up his ministry. That's not what he's doing. He's, he's waiting because he knows his time hasn't come yet. But he's not trying to start this new ministry here with these people. He knows what his mission is. His mission is go to Jerusalem to come as the good shepherd and to lay down his life for the sheep. And that's, that's the task he's focused on. He knows that he hasn't completed that task yet. But the woman is not deterred by this. She probably hears Jesus make this statement to the disciples. And she comes up and kneels before Jesus and asks again, for the Lord to have mercy to help her. And then Jesus answers her directly. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And at this point, if you're reading along, you might be a little shocked that Jesus says this. Uh, when we're reading, it comes across really as blunt. It's kind of almost rude or harsh. Why is he calling this woman a dog? What is going on here? And so we really should stop and think, what is this phrase? Why is he saying this? Why is Jesus, who's been so willing, and we'll see later in this passage, so willing to heal people, why is he making this point here and saying, no, this is not my mission? Well, 
whenever we have a question, we can think, where else in the Bible does it talk about this, right? We see this phrase, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus really is saying the same thing to this woman that he said to the disciples. He's phrasing it differently. But I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? I uh, don't take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. It's really saying the same thing. And as we think about other places in the Bible that talk this way, we don't have to turn back far and we see in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sent the disciples out that he said something very similar. As he sent the disciples out, you remember, to go and do ministry, he said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So same phrase there. We see this pattern repeated not just in Matthew, but through other places in Jesus' ministry. You remember our scripture reading from this morning, right? This parable that Jesus tells. The king has this feast prepared, and he sends out the servant to go gather the people who were invited, right? This comes up in Matthew 22, also in Luke chapter 14. And they go out, and they invite the people, or they call the people who are already invited, they got the RSVP, and they go say, hey, it's time, the feast is ready, let's come together and feast. And they, one by one, come up with reasons why they can't come. And the king's not real happy with this, that they can't come, but they end up then going to other people who weren't invited, and they gather them, say, hey, there's this feast, come feast with us, and they fill up the place. We see that pattern that first the invited guests were called and then the others were called you remember when jesus rose from the dead he appeared to the disciples he said at the end of luke repentance forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem and we see this Really the same thing repeated at the beginning of the book of Acts. You remember as Jesus ascended, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see that pattern happening throughout the book of Acts, right, where they start with Jerusalem, the people of Israel, then they spread out, they spread out, they spread out. And so this pattern keeps being repeated throughout the scripture we remember other places that talk like this as well. But why, why does this pattern exist? This is what Jesus is saying here. He's talking in the same way, this consistent pattern throughout the New Testament. Why would Jesus, the disciples, Paul, why would all of them go to the Jews first and then go to the Gentiles to proclaim this message? Well, when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, it gives us some insight. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how the people of Israel were the people who had received the covenant of promise. And that's really helpful to us. They had been given a promise. In other words, these promises were given to them and Jesus had come to fulfill these promises and then to proclaim these promises to them. And so when you make a promise to someone... Right. Let's say your friend asks you if they can borrow your lawnmower. Here, I know it's freezing right now, but it wasn't that long ago, a couple of weeks, and you were mowing your yard in January as, you know, as part of living in Louisiana. 
And so, you know, your friend asks you if they can borrow your mower. There's, you know, isn't working right. And so you say, sure, you can have it on Saturday. Well, then the week goes a little longer and your neighbor, <laughs> their mower breaks down and they ask, hey, can I borrow your mower on Saturday to mow my grass? Well, now you've got two people asking for the mower, but what are you going to do? Who are you going to give the mower to? Well, probably you're going to give it to the person who asked first. You already told them they could borrow it. Usually that's how it works. Sometimes, you know, you might have to go and talk to the person if someone else really needs it. At least first, you'd still have to go and talk to the person you promised it to, right, before you just switch plans and say, hey, you can, this other person can have it, right? Because who we make a promise to is who we need to keep the promise to. And so that's really kind of an example of what's going on here. God had made a promise to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, right? He made a promise to them, and God is going to keep that promise. He sent Jesus to fulfill those promises and then to proclaim these promises. In other words, Jesus is going to die on the cross and then he's going to be proclaiming saying, look, Jesus gives us these promises. Come receive the promises now that God has been promising all throughout the Old Testament. And so this is really what Jesus is focusing on and what the New Testament is focusing on. This is kind of the background. God gave the promise. And so he's not just going to then bypass these people of Israel in order to then proclaim the promise to other people, that's out of order, right? He made the promise to them. He's going to make sure they hear about it first. That's really, I think, what is going on here. And so this is the background, the understanding from the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament that helps us understand why at first Jesus was silent. And then initially he tells her and the disciples that he needs to focus on Israel and not the Gentiles, because he's in the process of doing that, right? He hasn't completed his work. And he hasn't really proclaimed this work yet to the people of Israel. So he wants to make sure this process goes in the right way. Well, this is where it gets amazing in this story, because the woman understands all of that, right? She, she hears what Jesus says about not giving the children's bread to the dogs. And she understands that. She understands, look, God made a promise to the people of Israel. I'm not those people. I understand that. But then what does she say? She says that there's, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, yes, Lord, I know this is your task. I know what you're doing. I understand it. But... I know that you're Lord. I know there's still enough, even as you focus on fulfilling this promise to the, gen to the people of Israel, I know there's still enough grace, enough mercy for you to help me, even as you're doing that. In other words, God won't run out of mercy. He has enough. He has abundant mercy for, for me. That's what this woman understands. And so Jesus, Jesus praises this woman, that she's understood this, she's grasped it, and then she has faith that God can still do this. He can still work this for her, even though he's working out this plan. He's, God's not done showing mercy. He's able to show mercy to her. 
And so Jesus heals her. And that's, uh, that's really this first section. We see this amazing example. This woman grasps, God has enough mercy. Even though he's doing this big plan of working everything out, he still has enough to care for me as an individual, as a person, as a Gentile. He still has enough mercy, enough care for me. And he shows that. He heals her daughter. We see this same theme continue. Jesus leaves this interaction with the woman. He starts heading back towards Galilee, but he's not really there quite yet. And just as happens with Jesus, he draws a crowd, right? This crowd starts to follow him. And this crowd is a crowd of Gentiles. We, we know that because after they see these miracles, it says they glorify the God of Israel. So that's a, that's a phrase that tips us off to understand, hey, these aren't Israelites. Israelites don't talk like that. These are the Gentiles still who are praising the God of Israel. So we're still dealing with these Gentiles, but now it's a crowd, and Jesus heals the crowd, again, showing his mercy is enough for them as well. And then, as the crowd has been there a few days, he says, I have compassion on them. I've been, I have mercy on them. They've been with me now three days. They have nothing to eat. I'm not willing to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And so here again, just like before with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus wants to feed this crowd. And this time it's a Gentile crowd. And so he asks what they have to eat. They have seven loaves of fish. The, the, seven loaves of fish. The disciples have seven loaves of bread and two fish, right? And so Jesus says, bring them to me. He blesses them. He gives thanks for them. And he distributes them. He does this miracle in feeding the 4,000. And so that's amazing. And that in itself shows us that he has more than enough. He's able to provide for us. But when we realize that what's going on here is really connected in this chapter, Jesus ministering to the Gentiles, we understand that this is very much connected to what happened with this Canaanite woman. That she realized that God had enough mercy for her. Well, that also is what we see. God has enough mercy for all these people, for all these Gentiles. You remember, what did Jesus just say to the woman? Right? He said, it's not fitting it's not proper it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs well what is jesus doing in this passage as he feeds the 4000 he's taking the disciples bread who are israelites and he's feeding these gentiles and so it might seem like he's doing exactly what he just said is not fitting to do quite literally actually he's taking the bread of the children of israel and he's giving it to this crowd well this is one connects the story we're reminded that this is connected but it just shows us that this is jesus working out his plan it's not just that he's going to be providing for the people of israel that's his plan he's working that out but his plan is bigger than just that He's the good shepherd, not just of this ethnic group of Israelites, but he's the good shepherd of everyone who will believe in him. He's able to provide for them and save them, and he's able to do that regardless of who you are, where you live. He has enough. 
compassion and mercy and grace for everyone. He's not contradicting himself, but he's showing us that this is his plan. This is really where his plan is heading. He's working this plan out. He's still uh, going to the cross. He still has to proclaim it. It's coming, but this is where it's going. He's giving us a foreshadowing, a foretaste of it, so to speak. And then I just love this. To top the story off, they pick up seven baskets full of bread. Now, normally, I'm not someone who's like uh, trying to find hidden meaning behind every number in the Bible. <laughs> but this is just this one just seems so obvious that it's hard not to talk about it. Because the number seven traditionally means perfection, completeness, right? And usually this uh, it's like God here is proclaiming to us that, hey, there's enough left over. There's enough mercy, enough provision. It's perfect. It's complete. It's, it's not going to run out. There's, there's still a perfect amount, a complete amount left over. There's more. Even when you have all your needs met, there's all your needs met. There's still more left. You're never going to drain the mercy of God or have a need that's too great for him. There's always going to be enough. There's always going to be more because he's God. He is infinite and eternal. And so we see these Stories really fit together perfectly of Jesus ministering both first to the Canaanite woman and then to this crowd of Gentiles. And we could uh, just note that connection, but if we were to zoom out just a little bit farther, we can see these stories are connected to the rest of chapter 15 as well. And this is helpful for us to notice as we wind down this morning that you remember last week, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about what it means to be clean, what it means to be unclean, right? Uncleanness comes from the hearts. We see that in the beginning of chapter 15, not from our rituals, not from our religiosity, but from the condition of our heart. That's what makes us unclean. And when we read the second half of the chapter, what do we find? We find Jesus ministering to unclean people because really in the first half of the chapter i don't know if you noticed this last week but there's really no resolution jesus just says you're unclean because of your heart <laughs> and then he just leaves it there uh which is a great way to end a message everything's bad you're bad the end right but we're not meant to stop there, right? We're meant to keep reading. At the second half of this chapter, we see Jesus actually answering that question. Okay, I understand I'm unclean. Well, now what? Well, here, these Pharisees would have recognized this Canaanite woman as probably the most unclean person you can think of, right? She's a Canaanite. These were the people that Israel drove out of the promised land because of all the sins they had committed and everything they had done. And now here, Jesus is ministering to her. This person that the Pharisees would have thought was unclean, he's showing them, he's showing us that uncleanness is a real thing. This woman is unclean, not because of her ethnicity, but because of her heart, the condition of her heart. And he's showing us that he has enough mercy to minister to unclean people and then to heal them to change them, to provide for their needs. And so this is the resolution. What happens when we realize that we are unclean? 
because our hearts are unclean. When we realize that at the end of the day we're sinners and we can't fix that, what happens? Well, we respond the same way this woman does. She realized her need and she cried out to Jesus for mercy. And Jesus provided that mercy to her, a Canaanite woman. And Jesus does that to us as well. When we realize our uncleanness, our sin, the condition of our hearts, we respond the same way. We cry out to the Lord and he sees us and he has compassion on us and he heals us. He changes our hearts. He makes us new because of his mercy. That's really the foundation of salvation, is the mercy of God. This is what God is like. He doesn't just see us as sinful people and keep us at an arm's length. right? No, he is close to us. He's willing to come to earth and live among us and then die for us so that we can be saved, so that we can be with him. It doesn't scare us away from him. He actually has compassion and wants to bring us close to him, to be with him. It's totally opposite of the Pharisees' mindset in this chapter. And so Jesus is showing us this picture of mercy, this heart of God behind salvation, behind all his works here in this chapter. When we, when we understand who he is, he's a merciful God. When we understand who we are, that we are unclean because of our heart, then we come to him just like these people here and we receive mercy because he has abundant mercy. His mercy will never run out. It's enough for everyone to be saved who comes to him. And that is what Jesus shows us here. He has enough mercy. He has abundant mercy. This is our God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your mercy. God, we pray that we would be amazed by it more and more as we think about just all the taboo things you did, so to speak, during the time that wasn't socially acceptable, but how you cared for people, how you reached out to people to save them, because you knew that what's on the outside are our stereotypes aren't what make us clean in your eyes, but it's what the heart is, the condition of the heart, and that you see that we are unclean, but you come to us and you show us mercy, you provide for our needs not just physically, but spiritually, what we truly need. You give us salvation through your Son. We thank you that you were focused on that, on that mission, on fulfilling that promise, on proclaiming that promise. You knew that was what we needed when you came and you did that. God, we pray that we would respond to you and seek your mercy. We would realize our need and seek your mercy. And we thank you that it is abundant and enough for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.